Awesome. Thanks, Weston. Y'all know Weston? He's uh, joined us leading about once a month uh, here at Pulpit Rock, and a great, great couple, he and Heather, and uh, it's been great to have them. Hey, well, good morning. It's good to see you. If I haven't met you before, my name's Roland. I'm one of the pastors here at Pulpit Rock, and as Kyle said, like more than half the pastoral team is out of the building today. I think they did it on purpose uh, because they saddled me with this really big block of scripture and this super dense theological topic and title, knowing how to eat an Oreo and how that will get you into the kingdom of God. And you giggle, but I'm only partially kidding, and you're going to see why. Now, for, for a message like this, we obviously need Oreos, right? Um, Oreos are um, one of America's favorite cookies. There's a study that found that 75% of all people find Oreos very, very favorable, 17% were just kind of neutral on them, and then 8% disliked them totally. And we're going to pray for those people and any of you in that category at the end of the message. I do feel like there's something kind of missing from this picture, though. Kyle? Yes. Right? Um, and I have something for you. I have Oreos. Who would like? Now, I'm not going to throw milk. So don't worry. But I do have some Oreos. Who wants Oreos? Yeah? Yeah? I'm scared I'm going to hit someone in the head. No. Give it to the child behind you. This is like baseball games. When you catch the foul ball, you never keep it, right? Anyone else want Oreos? Anyone in the... Balcony? Yeah? Should I try it? Y'all won't tell Jonathan, right? Okay. Oh. All right. We'll come back to second service because I'm going to practice in between services. All right. Okay. The, this, there was this poll that I, that I read. The same poll found this, and I want to run that poll here. It said that 59% of people like original Oreos the best. Raise your hand if original Oreos are your thing. Okay. It said that 35% liked double stuffs the best. Well, I think we're a little bit off. 6% like the weird flavors like mint, red velvet. Yeah, less people. Now, some of you rose... You raised your hand on all three of those. It's just like Oreos, I'm there. Yeah, I'm there. Um, now, here's the real thing I want to find out this morning, okay? Um, how many of you, show of hands, are chompers? Now, chompers are these people that you get an Oreo, you just start eating it. Or you just throw the whole thing in your mouth and just chomp it down. Yeah, some people are like, yeah, that's me. Okay, how many of you, and I'm one of these... How many of you are twisters? You know, 
and you eat the inside, right? Mm. Now, here's the big question I want to ask you. How many of you are twisters, and then you just throw the cookie part away? <laughs> Seriously. That's me. I just buy it for the cream filling, right? A Virginia Commonwealth University, I kid you not, a poll that they did found that most people are twisters, right? And they twist the cookie part away, uh, twist the cookie apart, eat the inside, and then they found of those that were twisters, most of them just throw the cookie away. And they did a big poll. It's true. Now, this finding that most people go for the inside, it's still tuck in my teeth, is going to inform our passage today. Because we've got this large part of Mark chapter 10 that we're going to get through. And I was kind of wondering when they gave me this, as like, how are we going to get through 40 verses in 30 minutes? And as I read it two or three times, it reminded me of an Oreo. And I think it will... You too. Mark 10 is this interesting chapter in this gospel, and we found out now that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Mark, he kind of starts spitballing these things, uh, these um, little pictures of Jesus, now that we know that he is the Messiah. And we're going to see four or five things in this chapter that he wants readers to understand about Jesus and the kingdom of God, now that we know he's the Messiah. And what we're going to see this morning are four encounters with people and Jesus. Now, in two of these encounters, Jesus presents them as ways to engage the kingdom of God or people that will get into the kingdom of God. And then in the other two, Jesus is going to point out these are not ways that you want to engage the kingdom of God. Or you can't get into the kingdom of God in that way. So, being part of the kingdom or not being part of the kingdom, that's something that would interest us, right? As Christ followers, so something we should know. And I think as we get to the end, it's going to remind you of an Oreo also, like it did me. At least I hope so. So we're going to look at these in order and just kind of pop through these four pictures of Jesus and people and how that informs the kingdom of God. So we're going to start in verse 13. And Mark writes this. He said, And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now last week, Jonathan talked about Jesus and little children. And he did it in the context of how we, we want to stand up for people in the margins, people without power like children. And that was the illustration now, in the context of this passage, we're the children. Jesus is saying that we should receive the kingdom of God like a little child. Now, when you hear that phrase, like a little child, 
What are some things that you think of? And that's not rhetorical. I want you to just shout some things out. Like a child, what does that mean? Huh? Yeah. Trusting. Innocent. Huh? Wonder. I keep saying huh because my hearing's gone. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Here's some others I thought of. Humble. Playful. Um, simply. Someone said trusting. Carefree. Right? Children are very carefree. How about this? No filters. Kids have no filters whatsoever, which means they're transparent. They have a transparency about them, right? They don't hide things or put up walls. Here's one, inclusive. You don't ever see children engaging things like racism or anything like that. I mean, they don't have anything against other kids unless they're playing with their toy or something like that, right? But as far as you know, color, or gender, or ethnicity, or anything like that. I mean, children are just inclusive. There's one that I kind of giggled at and decided to include. Because um, we've had four kids, two foster kids. And so my experience, I have a lot of experience with dirty diapers. And when I thought about it, it's like, you know, sometimes in my own life, I feel like I'm walking around with a dirty diaper, right? Or crumbs on my face or messy or whatever. And I think Jesus is saying, yeah, approach the kingdom like a little child. And so the kingdom of God belongs to us, to those adults that receive it like a child. And so that does that describe me? Does that describe you? The late Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets, which I love, said this, he said, the most sophisticated people I know, inside, they are all children. And so I wonder, do we sometimes, as we grow up in our faith, as we have experience in church and in Christianity, do we get too sophisticated for our own good? As we get more knowledge about Jesus and about the Bible, do we sometimes forget to engage the kingdom in the path of Christianity in a simple way, like a little child. And maybe it just looks like what Jesus said and wrapped all of it into, which was love God, love your neighbor, which is kind of a simple way to approach the kingdom of God. But maybe, maybe that's enough. Maybe it's worth examining ourselves and just saying, is our faith that simple, like a little child? That's the first picture. Next, Mark shifts gears, and he throws us into this encounter that Jesus has with this young, wealthy man. If you've been around church and read the Bible a lot, sometimes it's called the rich young ruler. This was probably just a well-to-do younger man of status and means. He was most certainly Jewish because of the conversation that he has with Jesus. And so let's read what Mark writes about that. It says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, 
said to him, um, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing, though. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by this, saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He couldn't do it. He couldn't follow Jesus on those terms. He was looking for a list of behaviors, uh, a calendar to follow, a list of uh, morality and religious rules, a religion that he could put inside his box, this checklist that would get him into eternal life. But what Jesus pointed out was what was really on the throne of his heart. And it wasn't God. It was money that gave him comfort. It was money that he trusted. It was his wealth that was his king and his God. And it's interesting to me that Jesus gives this list of commandments from the Ten Commandments. But what the rich young man did not realize is he, had, he says, I followed all of those things since I was a young child. But he, he, he had broken the very first one. Have no other gods before me except the God of Israel. And so he had broken that first one. He thought he was doing religion correctly. And we hear from his mouth that he followed the laws, he lived a moral life. I'm guessing he probably tithed to the temple and the synagogue. He prayed, he fasted, he studied the scriptures. But he couldn't do one thing. And that was put his relationship with Jesus first above his religion. Now, when I read this passage, and every time I've read it, I get mo- more fearful about just looking in my own mirror. If I had that conversation with Jesus today, what would he point out in my life that I need to put aside, that I need to metaphorically sell and get rid of so that Jesus can be first? In my heart. And I I think we all have those things. We have to ask ourselves do we rely more on religious rules and moral living, Christian identity and activity as our ticket into the kingdom of God? Or is Jesus and following him really first? We all know the world measures our success. We feel it all the time. It measures it by status and titles and financial stability and these other metrics of the world. But Mark's reminding us in this account of the kingdom and how the metrics of that kingdom are much different. In fact, they're upside down. What we think are correct measurements in our life that we normally lead are actually and sometimes opposite of what the metrics of the kingdom are. Jesus illustrates this at the close of this section in Mark 10. He is engaging with the disciples and teaching them from this conversation he had with this rich young man and stating about the coming kingdom of heaven. He says, many who are first in this world will be last. And those who are last will be first. It's upside down. It's different. 
And I want you to get me wrong because questions like, you know, how do I live a righteous life? How do we study the scriptures and get to know God and Jesus more? How do we live and uphold morality of our faith and of humanity? These are, these are good questions, and these are good goals to have. But the point is, they're just not pertinent to getting into the kingdom of God because nothing that we do on our own will get us into the kingdom. It is only faith in Jesus that will do that. And so we really need to ask, not how do I behave better? How do I get to know more? How do I have more quiet times, more Bible studies? All those things are good, but if you want to get into the kingdom, the question is, how do I follow Jesus? How do I be last so that I can be first? Picture number two. Picture number three, Mark does another shift and he takes us backstage with Jesus and the disciples. Now, I often wondered if Jesus and the 12 disciples around him and then probably the other disciples, the women and men that are around him are walking around the countryside doing things and people are wondering. They kind of look at him like a rock band, you know. It's like, what do they talk about? Man, there they are. And so we get a picture of this backstage conversation between Jesus and the disciples. And here's the thing. Let me add a little commentary to this. That this scene that we're going to see should make you feel better about your own walk with Jesus. Because we get to see a little bit of the immaturity and occasional stupidity of the disciples that are walking with Jesus. They're not perfect people by any means. Mark shows us this in, starting in verse 35. He says, And James and John... The sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, I think he said it this way, Oh, really? That's not in there. What do you want me to do for you? And, he, and they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, can I just say, I feel like this is a little bit arrogant, right, of James and John. I mean, this is Jesus, and we can tell from the conversation that they're starting to get a hint that he's the Messiah because they're asking for something pretty big. They want to sit to the right and the left of the throne of the king, right? They want to be there for eternity with Jesus, I mean, they just walk right up to God and say, this is what I want you to do for my life. We never do that, right? Here's two out of the 12 disciples who obviously had a sidebar meeting without the rest of the disciples and decided that they were going to do this. And then when they say this in front of the other disciples, the whole gang, the whole band gets really miffed. I mean, they're really mad. And I think I would be too. I mean, they're trying to cut to the front of the line, be the greatest, be over the other disciples, and sit next to Jesus, closer to him than anyone else. Jesus responds to their bickering after telling James and John, I, this is not mine to give you. I can't grant that for you. 
Mark tells us, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be that way among you. Whoever would be great among you must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, comes, came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Now here's the thing. We are all prone to want greatness. We all want to be seen as being elevated and being more worthy. And, and Jesus points out to us and to them that the leaders of the world will lord their title and authority over others. That the world's metrics value this greatness, this fame, power, success, and wealth. And Jesus, again, is going to turn things upside down and saying, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Whoever wants to be seen as first and greatest must be a slave to all. And so we see this picture of the kingdom of God that leadership and authority doesn't come from titles. It doesn't come from sitting on a throne. It comes from how well you humble yourself, how well you serve others and be a slave to their needs. And when you see that kind of leadership, you're actually seeing the kingdom of God at work. When you see someone lording and ruling over others with force and with pride and title, well, based on Jesus' words, it would seem that that's the opposite of the kingdom of God. And so social class thinking and status thinking, this isn't kingdom thinking. Kingdom thinking focuses on the margins. It's like Jonathan talked about last week, standing up for those that don't have power. It's like Susie said a few months ago in a sermon, and I still remember it to this day and even wrote a blog post around it. Where she said, it's, if you want to find Jesus, go to the margins. Because it's in the margins, the place of serving, that Jesus liked to hang out. And it's where God is often at work today as well. And I get it. In our church ecclesiology, in our, the way that we have set up things here, we can often make the mistake that we think God kind of hangs out in rooms like this in buildings like this that have church on the sign out front. And our neighbors can even think, man, I need to get right with God, so I'm going to go to a church building so that I can find God. But here's the thing I want to suggest to you is God is often more at work outside of these walls than even inside these walls. And he's just waiting for you to join him in that work. You know, we talk a lot around here about that we are a sent people. It's in Scripture all over. That we are sent to join God in his mission. And that's what this is talking about, in serving others. In fact, next Sunday I'm going to host a lunch 
after the second service in room 101 over here. And it's all around how you can live out your faith in the margins, how you can reach out to people, you know, without having to give your testimony or draw pictures on napkins, but how you can just live as a Christ follower to those in the places where you live, work, and play. And I want to invite you to that lunch. I'd love for you to come to that lunch where we talk about that and empower you and give you ideas to just be a Christ follower with other people. And so you can write on your comment card that you want to be part of that lunch next week. Just drop it in one of the offering boxes um, around the room and we'll be, I'll be in touch with you. But I would love for you to come to, come to that. And finally, um, in the last picture, Mark gives us this, um, this engagement of entering the kingdom in a story of a blind man named Bartimaeus. And Mark writes this. It says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, and a great, with a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out even more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying, hey, hey, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Same question he asked James and John, right? Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. It was that simple. And immediately he recovered his sight. And then he didn't go his own way. He followed him, followed Jesus on his way. And so this simple blind beggar found the kingdom of God, saw God himself with his own healed eyes through simple faith. Now everyone walking with Jesus saw Jesus as this rock star and when Bartimaeus calls up, calls out for Jesus, they shush him away, you know, like don't bother the great rabbi, but Jesus shows his greatness by serving the least in the margins, the blind beggar, as if to teach everyone there and just display the kingdom and say, this is what the kingdom looks like. That if you approach Jesus blind and simply, that he will give you eyes to see. And I think the truth, same is true for us. It has been for me in my life. When I think I know everything, sometimes I just need to admit my blindness and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and shows me and heals it. So, four pictures of the kingdom of God that Mark lays out for us in this, these 40 verses. The first, a simple but confounding view that we must Receive the kingdom like a child if we want to enter it. 
And again, think about the posture of a child that's simple and honest, sometimes dirty, small, fragile. The second picture of a rich young man who tried to measure his faith by his right behaviors and by following all the rules, yet just couldn't let go of his true God, which in his case was money. The question for us is what would that be in our life? The third, two of Jesus' closest disciples who seek greatness and title and authority, they want to be seen as close to Jesus, which is something we often want to be seen as, as well. But Jesus says that greatness and authority comes from how you serve others and be a slave to their needs. And then finally, the fourth, a simple blind man who finds the kingdom through simple, direct faith in God. In the world's measurements, a blind man could not approach a great rabbi. But in the kingdom of God, he was ushered to the front of the line. And God himself served him. So here's the thing. When we look at these four examples of the kingdom, the two on the outside that are ways to engage the kingdom of God, and the two on the inside are ways that we don't want to engage the kingdom of God. So here's the truth. Here's the Oreo. Most people go right for the center. That's what we want. The center tastes the best. The center's the sweet, sweetest. It gives us a sugar high. It makes us feel really, really good. Rules and morals make Christianity easier to define. Building a box around our religion makes it easier to eat, to digest, and it's easier to judge others by. We all want status and titles, and we all want to be seen as sitting to the right and the left of Jesus, because it makes us feel good to be closer to Jesus. Rules and morality and religious thinking and status and power, these things taste good. It's the sugar rush. It feels good and it makes us look good. And so we often think that the kingdom, being Christian, is about going for the center. Sometimes we think it's about the double stuff. And then sometimes, unfortunately, we just throw the cookie away. But again, the kingdom proves to be upside down. It's different than the world. Here's the thing. Oreos would never sell without the cream filling. They'd never package Oreos with just the cookie, right? Because they wouldn't sell. Now, I did see Oreo thins for those of us that are on diets to help us make us feel better, you know, about eating Oreos. But the truth is, Oreos just wouldn't sell with just the outside cookie part. And you know what? Our faith is a hard sell 
when all it talks about is serving others and being simple and living in the margins and not being proud and not seeking all the knowledge and the status and the titles. It's a harder sell, but that's what the kingdom of God looks like. We can find the kingdom. You can find the kingdom. But it may often feel like something opposite than what you're drawn to. Entering the kingdom simply like a child, the faith of a child. Don't seek a list of morals and rules, but seek Jesus as your king. Don't look for religious status and knowledge, but look for ways to lower yourself and to serve others humbly. And then approach Jesus yourself humbly like Bartimaeus, and just admit your blindness sometimes. And you know what? You'll be ushered to the front of the line, and Jesus will say your faith has healed you. That's what will happen. Now this morning, we're going we're gonna to observe and take communion together as a community. Um, and yes, it was suggested that we, since we do intinction here, that we use Oreos and milk. And it was quickly shot down. But we are going to observe communion as a community. There's, there's a um, cultural metaphor giving, given in Scripture about, about wineskins and wine. And... Um, scriptures tell us, Jesus tells us, don't put new wine in an old wine skin. And what they would do, they didn't have wine bottles, cool wine bottles like we have now. And so they would use animal hides and make these canteens, these wine skins, and keep wine in them. And the animal skins over time get porous and don't hold it as good, and so you don't want to waste new wine in an old wine skin because it might just bust. That was the metaphor. That's what Jesus was trying to say. So here's what I want to propose this morning. A lot of us have, um, we have kind of old traditional um, religion that we've been taught, we were raised in. Old ways of thinking about the kingdom and about what's best in the kingdom. Um, things that we weren't taught about serving others and joining God on mission outside the walls of a church. And so I want to ask this morning, do we need to be a new wineskin ourselves? Do we need to transform ourselves so that the new wine that Jesus would give us cannot be put in an old framework of religion or an old way of thinking about the Bible and serving and loving others, but that it can go in something new, us. And so as you come this morning to these tables, as the band sings over us, um, I want you to ask the question, maybe the rich young man, what do I need to put away? What old things do I need to put away so that the new wine 
that Jesus wants to give me can go in a new wineskin, not in an old wineskin, where it could get wasted. And just ask that of yourself. And as you walk forward and as they sing over us, these lyrics will be on the screen. And I want you to just look at the lyrics and take them in and pray as you walk. And you don't have to do it immediately. Take some time and then come when you feel feel led. But I want to pray for us real quick. And then um, we're just going to let you decide when you want to come to one of the tables around the room. And just take the bread, dip it in the juice, which represents that wine, and then take it in to a new wineskin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, um, this picture uh, that we've been given of the kingdom of God and kind of four different engagements with, with different people. And I pray that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, um, help us to wrestle uh, with our own posture in our faith. May we walk forward even this morning like children. Uh, may we stumble forward like the blind. Um, may we put away our pride and our status and our knowledge and our desire to be seen as more Christian, more closer to Jesus. And may we simply find your kingdom alive in us. We pray all of this in your precious name. In the name of Jesus.